Welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show with Landon Witt. You're about to learn hyper-local market knowledge happening right now in the Oklahoma City real estate market. Landon is a genuine self-made top realtor in Oklahoma City with millions of dollars in real estate closed every year and hundreds of satisfied clients. He's top rated by sites like Zillow, Trulia, Realtor.com, and Homes.com. He's actually been there and done it. He's a successful investor, property manager, and residential broker who's worked with clients from all over the globe to help achieve their real estate goals. Whether you live right here in the city or across the country, welcome to the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. Here is your host, Landon Witt, with this week's Daily Market Update. Welcome to episode 10 of the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. Today on the show, we've got Whitney O'Connor, creator of the Curbside Chronicle, local publication here helping out the homeless folks. Uh, We made a trip, or I made a trip, to the Homeless Alliance this week and recorded an interview with Whitney, uh, Mr. O'Connor, about the status of homelessness going on currently and also a new program that they've been launching uh, that connects real estate investors with a homeless outreach program. So we're going to talk about that later on the show today. I want to jump right into the market here. Again, my name is Landon Witt, license number 174290, brokered through Metro First Realty. Market data provided by Oakmar, uh, which is the MLS here in Oklahoma City. Sold in the last seven days, um, we actually had a couple of listeners ask us to remove REOs from the total sale price, our sales volume of the last seven days so that we get an accurate reading of what uh, homes are actually being sold in the retail market. Um, So last seven days, 114 total sales, not including REOs. We're going to talk about REOs, which is real estate owned by the bank. So that's a bank foreclosure that's being sold separate in a separate column from here on forward. That way we can kind of gauge those metrics a little better. Um, So 114 sold. Um, The median days on market, this is for 10 square miles from the city core of Oklahoma City, um, is eight days. I went through the list of homes that were on the market, and I'm looking like single digit, single digit, single digit. Of course, there's a couple of odds and ends that are 150 days and 200 days and so on and so forth. But it's astounding to see how many properties were just on the market one day or two day. Um, really interesting to see that uh, coming to fruition. This week, um, we actually went up on the sold per square foot price over the list square foot price. We've been actually tracking slightly lower. So you list at one price and you're slightly lower closing price. But this this last week, we actually went up. So here's what that looks like. The median per square foot closing price was $90.23. The list price was $89.48. So we're seeing a good um, uh, positive, not a huge gap there, but definitely if you're looking at, let's say, what is that? just under a dollar a square foot. So if you've got a 1,500 square foot house, you're getting about $1,400 more for that house last week than on average the week before. Uh, that's great. That's that's good stuff. $1,400. Hey, I'll take that. That's a new iMac. Well, sort of. It used to be. Now they're really expensive. Um, average sold price, okay, 133000 I want to talk about this average sales price because it's really important to understand this market, right? So $133,000 for a single family dwelling 
the average is going to be a three bedroom, two bath. Um, we're really like 1.5 bath because we have a lot of one bath homes in the metro. So it kind of skews that number. So really 1.5 bath, three bedroom, 1.5 bath. But 133 per square are our average purchase price is important, or excuse me, median purchase price is important because if you take the average median household, which there's a couple of conflicting numbers, right? I see everywhere between 47,000 per household in Oklahoma City, all the way to 50,000. So somewhere in there, I think the Department of, of uh, Labor uh, says about 50,000, and that's the United, the federal um, census. That's right at 50,000. So let's just say 50,000, right? If we divide that by 12 and then we get a monthly income of 4,000 something. If we divide that by three, because really your tenants are people that are purchasing a home, they need to make three times what their mortgage or their rent is going to be. So if you do those metrics, you find that the average median household income is right in line with the average sold price. So if you look 133,000, that's about where you want to stay with um, if you're doing a flip and stuff like that and you're looking for those real fast, you know, good steady market that 130 price range, 130 to 140 up to 150 is where you want to be. Um, obviously, there's all kinds of individual circumstances that, that warrant different situations. But just as far as just status for consistent sale price, 130 to 140 is your target there. Okay, so moving to REOs. REOs, 17 were sold this last seven days. Um, they uh, actually went up on ask price. Um, so this is important. Uh, we get this question, and you probably go through this a lot, is how can, can I offer lower than what the bank's asking for this property? And that the answer used to be yes. Um, in fact, it used to be considerably less, even just two years ago. Now, we are seeing, and just the last seven days is proving this, it's selling at their ask price, if not slightly above. So if you're thinking you're going to offer below uh, what the bank is asking, and that property has been on the market for a short period of time, I mean less than 60 days, you really don't have a chance getting lower right now in today's market. There's just too much demand for these homes that have been, um, uh, what do they call it, deferred maintenance. <laughs> that's that's the creative way for uh, crap hole in some of the cases. Uh, we were doing a tour yesterday, and you, you some of these, you, you need to be wearing a mask when you're walking through them, but um, 62000 500 was the median ask price for banks this week for REO properties. 62,512 was the sold price, so $12 increase. That's kind of interesting out, out of those 17. So right at ask or just above. So when you're running your numbers, do not assume that you're going to get lower than what the, the bank is, is advertising. Jumping in under 500K homes that I want you to look at, um, this one, again, these are ready to go, ready to move in. Beautiful homes that I think um, renovators have done a fantastic job. The one I want to talk about under 500 is 349. Uh, the address is 2120 Northwest 16th Street in Oklahoma City. That is uh, brokered by Keller Williams. Actually, Ken, Kim Wynn is uh, the agent on that one. Um, this one has a second floor balcony that's covered. Um, which is neat. And there's a big tree in the front that gives even more shade. It's got kind of this red, 
red carpet uh, stair look to it, but it, it works. It, it's, it's actually quite tasteful, uh, even though it's like fire engine red. Uh, it, it works. Um, as you go into the house, you'll notice they've added some beams. Beams that are done correctly really give a home a rustic feel to it and, and kind of give it just a, a different uh, luxurious quality. The kitchen's got the stone backsplashes, Again, when we can incorporate that modern stone in the house, it really adds uh, a richness to it. The kitchen's not super huge, but you have a lot of counter space, which is great, um, especially in a historic or an older home like this. You really run into issues with kitchen sizes. Um, but yeah, I think that um, hit, you know, if this house was staged, it would have probably sold the first day on the market just because this one's hard to conceptualize some of the space usage, but I think it won't have any problems at all. The master bath is gorgeous. It's got this uh, standalone tub that's just a modern, chic look, um, all white everywhere, really light colored. Uh, that's been on the market four days um, as of this airing, um, 2120 Northwest 16th. Again, that link's going to be in the bottom drop down below um, the details of this podcast. Um, under 250k, I want you to look at 3837 Northwest 25th Street. This one um, is listed for 129.9. Again, hello, those metrics, 130. That's the target. And guess what? It's four days on the market, but it's already got a highest and best offers due issued on it, which means that they've received more than one offer to the point where they're saying, hey, everybody, we're going to halt the the sale for right now, and we're going to give everybody a chance to put in their offer. And whoever gets the highest offer wins. Again, 130 price range. Look at the magic. Look at the action. Look at the the um, the fish biting the hook, if you will. Um, this one's got some interesting colors. They went with the blue again, which has been statistically really popular when it's done right. That kind of that um, darker blue. It's kind of a darker blue. It's not not the full royal blue, but pretty close to it. Um, they've done a good job with the subway tile and the back and the backsplash of the kitchen that kind of stuff. Um, they've also got a, a really neat um, range hood uh, thing going on there. Um, it is an electric stove, but um, it is a crawl space house, so it's not that hard to add a gas stove if you want gas. So anyways, that is 3837 Northwest 25th in the Martindale edition. Okay, moving on to the news. Property news for Oklahoma City. Uh, Plans are underway for a large-scale development at Penn and Northwest Expressway. You really kind of have to look at the map on OKCTalk.com to see the full layout of this, but it's a development group out of Tulsa uh, just applied to rezone property between Northwest Expressway and Northwest 50th, west of Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, with the goal of creating a five-story mixed-use development. Um, This is a Veritas development. Um, They're led by Ryan McNeil out of Tulsa, and they've acquired several tracts of property around the Penn Square mall area so um, that's exciting Um, they bought the what was it the Salvation Army property um, and several homes from Chesapeake uh, Energy when they were selling off some of their assets in 2016 Uh, so they've been uh, a company to watch for sure that's Veritas Development Uh, again Ryan Neal's company They've had six meetings so far with local residents over the last year to share their plan, which calls for rerouting Northwest 50th 
through their proposed project in alignment with a traffic light, which also serves Penn, 50th Penn Place to the east. So you can check out this, this schematics on that. But again, that Penn Square Mall area, the real estate's really been hot around there. And it's going to continue to get hot with investors spending big money. Um, I want to move closer to downtown. Um, there is um, a huge public art display coming to Automobile Alley. Pretty exciting to get these cool, fun stuff in this city. This is um, the Contemporary M Museum with a contemporary showroom on site. Um, it's basically, to describe it, it's like a open-air park feature. Um, there's one, it's, it's called a whiteout, right? And it's, and it's um, there's one in New York City, and it's basically where they take a span of nature, or a span of open, grassy area, and they, they add this electrified whiteout space that's just all these white light bulbs and stuff that just kind of light up a very defined rectangular piece of ground and it creates a real kind of airy spatial feel in the area and it's it's really cool to go on like a date and stuff there or get your instagram photos done um artist Irwin reddle i think that's how you pronounce his last name he's going to execute whiteout a massive installation that was first commissioned by madison square park conservatory in new york um he's also done other installations around the world that project is supposed to get done this fall so that'll be ready for um winter time that's going to be 40 foot by 80 foot and will be 12 feet high um again that's planned for the fall in automobile alley so get your dates ready for this fall you can take your lovely bride or girlfriend or to-be girlfriend out to that display. Bank First, want to talk about them. They're moving some waves in town. Um, they just released um, extensive makeover plans for Cotter Tower in downtown. Cotter Tower is actually the second tallest building um, in Oklahoma City, behind Devon Tower, of course, which is huge. I don't even know how huge it is. I think it's like 70-something floors. It's just crazy, crazy tall. Like airplanes fly around it tall. Um, Bank First... Plans with the Cotter Tower um, is going to be renovating it to bring it to the more modern look, a more modern uh, functional in interior as well. This also increases allowing their workforce, which is currently 300, to more than 450, uh, which means they're going to actually be hiring an additional 150 or relocating 150 to Oklahoma City. So that will be great to get some good, another 150 good quality paying jobs uh, in the downtown corridor. Um, the renovation details are um, something along the lines of the crumbling plaza surrounding the tower will be redone with pavers, new skylights, new sky lighting, landscaping, irrigation, new planners. Um, horseshoe marks in the plaza cement will be removed and the Cotter's sculpture will be returned to his family. Um, that's the gentleman that uh, the Cotter family grandpa or, or whatever picture or sculpture that's there that gets back to the family anyways I digress um, but nevertheless they're doing um, good and in, good uh, interior renovations there expensive stuff I think that's uh, in the in the multiple like 20 million dollar project range so that's expensive um, if you're a construction worker you might want to head that direction um, Another thing in, in news for the real estate downtown is um, 
redeveloping the armory building okay this is a building that's on northeast 23rd just west 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 of i-235 this is uh kind of an old crumbling building now it's a big building 72,000 square foot big building is going to get an exterior facelift while still maintaining its unique history and the art deco facade on the interior a 60-barrel state-of-the-art brew house will occupy the drill hall on the first floor filled with stainless steel production tanks and an automated canning line with a perimeter space surrounding the floor housing, storage office, barrel aging, and more. The east wing of the second floor will feature an 8,000-square-foot restaurant, tap room with an indoor and patio seating for more than 160 people. The full-service restaurant will serve a diverse collection of food and beverages. On the third floor of the East Wing, dedicated event space will be available for community and private events. A 22-room boutique hotel will tie the experience together. Hotel rooms will occupy the second and third floors of the West Wing of the building with a refined hobby located on the west side of the floor to welcome guests. There's no actual date for the start of that, but we are what we're being told is early next year will be the start. Now, completion date. Who knows? Now it's time to get to our guest today. I wanted to bring this up because I had an investor that got involved with the Homeless Alliance this year, and they've got an interesting program that I think you need to hear about. So that's what we talked about today on the show um, or on during the interview. So I want you to listen real quick to an excerpt from the Homeless Alliance from a homeless person actually telling how their experience was, and then we'll go straight into that interview. West Town Resources has done amazing things for me. I'm um, at a point in my life where it was a dead end street, and they gave me all the resources in one package that I needed. They gave me, they helped me with housing, with counseling, therapy, my social security, attorneys. Um, as far as getting my children home, they helped me with everything that you could possibly imagine. Everything incorporated in one place was very, very helpful for me because at the point in time when I first got here, I, I didn't have a vehicle, I didn't have a home, I didn't have anything to get to the places that I needed to go to get help. So I'm Whitley O'Connor, I'm the Fund Development Specialist for the Homeless Alliance. The Homeless Alliance has been around since 2004. Uh, we're currently at what we call the West Town Homeless Resource Campus. Uh, it's been around since 2011. It's a one-city block where we have kind of three things going. We have a resource center where we have about two dozen partner agencies kind of creating a holistic resource center for individuals experiencing homelessness. We have the day shelter, which is where folks can get food and showers and computers and uh, just kind of help from advocates. And then we have our apartment complex, which is 20 single resident occupancy units uh, for veterans and folks who are chronically homeless. And so that's kind of uh, where we're at and what we're doing right now. And uh, I've been uh, working here since March, so pretty new, but uh, my wife and I actually launched the Curbside Chronicle. And so I've been volunteering at the Homeless Alliance for about six years now. Hmm. And for those that may not understand what the Curbside Chronicle is, just a short synopsis, what is Curbside Chronicle? Yeah, so it's a magazine that we publish that individuals who are experiencing homelessness uh, contribute to, and they actually sell it as a way to make an income, and then we work with them to get back on their feet into new employment opportunities and into housing. 
Mm, so for those of you that are listeners in Oklahoma City, you may have sit at a traffic light, light or, or been cruising through town and you see these folks with the green vests on holding magazines. That's what that program is, is that's this organization giving them those magazines and enabling them to sell them to create profit for this program. So uh, definitely good to support. You can also, if you're a local business, you can advertise in that magazine, get some good exposure uh, for, uh, for a community event that really impacts. Um, so before we get too far into how investors are getting involved in this program, uh, let's talk a little bit about homelessness in general. Sure. I mean, what, is this an epidemic in Oklahoma City? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? What's the current facts that are going on right now in homelessness? Yeah, so uh, this year in our, our point in time count, which is kind of a one-night census of individuals experiencing homelessness, kind of a snapshot of what homelessness looks like, uh, we had 1,183 individuals who uh, were experiencing homelessness. Uh, when you look at this projected over the course of a year, kind of the annual census, you multiply that by four to five times. So you're looking at about 5,000 people who will experience homelessness this year in Oklahoma City. Um, that sounds like a really huge number. Uh, it is definitely a lot higher than we would like it to be, uh, but it is a great improvement from the past few years. And so about 160 people finding housing, uh, 160, 180 people over the past year, uh, down from, from our last point in time count. And so we're definitely making improvements. Um, basically, across, across all categories, you're seeing uh, the numbers go down, which is really exciting. The one exception to that being unsheltered individuals. And so uh, there's still kind of this perception in Oklahoma City that homelessness is going up, and that's driven by uh, the visibly homeless individuals going up. So this past year, unfortunately, we saw about 47% increase in unsheltered individuals. These are folks that either don't meet the criteria to go into a shelter or for whatever reason choose not to. Maybe they have a companion animal. Um, and so those folks are, are increasing, unfortunately, fairly drastically due to a number of, of factors. But um, yeah, so so it's getting better overall, but there are some factors that make it certainly seem as though it, it's getting worse. So just so that I understand what you just said. So there are less overall reported homelessness in the city. However, a higher percentage of those that are homeless are now without shelter altogether, truly homeless, um, yes. living um, under trees or something like that. Is that is that what we're talking about here? Yeah. So in encampments, under bridges, uh, generally just in the elements outside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I have heard a couple of uh, individuals, especially um, Jason Hartman did an investor tour earlier this year. Some of you may be on it. Um, the red carpet bus took about 300 of us around the city to kind of check out um, different investment opportunities. And there were some comments along that tour of, oh, gosh, you know, it does look like there's a lot of people on the street corner that this kind of thing just to get this out here it, when people are on the street corner you know asking for money is that a legal activity or how what is that what, what does the city feel about that yeah so it's absolutely a legal activity uh, it's, it's a first amendment right to um your free speech right they're they're mm -hmm. they're displaying that they're experiencing poverty they're asking for help in that regard um so it, it's certainly very much uh a right for them to be there. As for how the city feels about that, you know, uh, that, that would be a question you'd have to ask some, some of the folks at, at the city council, but um, it's something we, we definitely have a very close relationship with the city. There's a really great resource called the Homeless Outreach Team, a part of the 
police department, and their sole job is to work with folks experiencing homelessness and, and very, very low-income folks, um, not in a manner of citing and finding them, but rather mm-hmm. in trying to connect them to these different resources they need to improve their lives. And so they're working with a lot of this population we're talking about mm-hmm. and trying to do it in a compassionate way, in a way that's actually going to get them back on their feet and not not you know using our resources to put them in jail and uh, and so that, that's a really great program. So there are things mm-hmm. like that happening in the city that are really exciting. Um, but certainly, yeah, if, if they're out there, they, they have as much right as, as a politician trying to get votes. Yeah, Sure, sure. So <clears throat> you get this question, too, when we talk about homelessness in the city. Um, I don't want to give to the person on the street corner because I think it's just going to go to booze or I think they're going to you know use it as drugs. Um, so for someone who's having that emotional moment where they're feeling sympathy for that person on the corner, but maybe they're fearful for their life to reach out to a complete stranger. Um, or maybe they feel like if they give that money to that person, it wouldn't be used wisely. Um, what's the next step that person should take, uh, when they're at that street corner and they're, they're having those feelings, um, in order to help in a way that's constructive? Sure. Yeah. So, so the big thing with that is that I, I generally say, um, give if you feel, you know, compelled to give, right? If you, if you feel compelled to give someone money, give them money, right? If you don't, then you don't, right? Or if you want to buy them a meal or whatever that may be, in that immediate situation, do as you feel compelled is what I would say. You know, there's kind of a perception that all of these folks are, you know, addicts or, you know, going to waste the money. Really, when you look at 40% of the homeless population um, are experiencing either mental illness or addiction, right? So it's 40% in one of those two categories, um, and so what that looks like is that the majority of these folks aren't going to go and spend on booze or drugs or whatever that may be. Um, they're actually going to go and spend it likely a night in a hotel or some food or whatever that may be, trying to, trying to actually, you know, somewhat improve their lives in the short term. What I'd say in the longer term is try to connect to the resources that are out there, right? Um, so that individual, they're out there because they need something, and so your money is going to help them in the moment, Right. Uh, but after that, if, if you feel compelled to address that issue, uh, you know, come down and, and talk to us, right? We happy to give tours all the time. Uh, come see what homelessness actually looks like in our city. You know, it, it's easier to be empowered uh, to do something when you know the numbers, when you know the resources, when you know what's out there. And we're happy to uh, engage with folks and, and help them connect to, you know, what they feel pulled to. Maybe it's us. Maybe it's another one of our partner agencies. Um, we're always happy to connect to you. And once you're you're kind of empowered with that knowledge and the resources, you can you can kind of better determine how to help in that moment. Mm, that's good stuff. Okay, so moving on, the homeless person right comes to you guys and is seeking assistance, and that's a great thing. I mean, I, I, I want to encourage if, there, if you know someone who's going through some struggles. Folks, this is a fantastic facility we're in right now. I think you would imagine a homeless outreach program as being this run-down, grug, you know, scraggly place. Um, I'm in an office building that looks like IBM, um, it really feels like a well-run machine, um, and it's it's something to see and be a part of. Um, we're looking through a window right now towards kind of a common area where some folks that I'm assuming are homeless, uh, just judging by the bags maybe they're bringing with them. A couple of guys have sleeping bags, and they're able to come here, get a shower, and be in an environment that's safe, that's supervised, uh, that's clean. It's very clean here. Um, And there's just folks just kind of hanging out. You know, Again, he said that there is computer facilities, this kind of thing. 
So they're beginning that process of reintegrating back with society just the moment that they step foot on this campus. And then once we get past that, I want to get into the next phase of that. And that's how you guys are working with local investors to place these homeless people into an actual permanent home or, or a program that will get them on their own. Um, talk to me about that. Yeah, so last year we helped 715 people end their homelessness. And so this happens through a variety of ways, right? The biggest one being what we call Journey Home. That's our biggest program. About 40 partner agencies working with us on this effort. It's called Housing First, right? And so for years and years and years, we did something called housing readiness, right? Across the country, uh, kind of the idea was that once you're ready to move into housing, we'll move you into housing. And, and by ready, what we meant is once you have become stable on your mental health medications, we'll move you into housing. Once mm. you've overcome your addiction, you've been sober for you know, 30, 90 days, we'll move you into housing, right? Once you, you've escaped your abuser and, and all of this, we'll move you into housing when you're ready, right? What we found through research was that wasn't working very well, right? Mm. And so what became the national best practice and what we've started doing in Oklahoma City and done for the past about five years is what we call housing first. Get someone into housing and then address these issues, right? Really hard to address someone's sobriety if they're drinking to escape the fact that they're living under a bridge. And you're asking them to stay sober for 90 days and then we'll move you into housing. It just doesn't work, sure. right? Get them out of this stressful environment. Absolutely. Sure. And so that, that's a big push right now is, is housing first. We house them and then we address all these issues. Uh, it's a lot easier to get stable on, on mental health medication or whatever that may be when you're in housing and in a stable environment. Mm-hmm. And so in, in programs like that, what we're doing is we're working with you know and, uh, investors and uh, real estate owners all across the city to place people into housing, Right. Um, you know, so we own 20 units of apartment complex that I talked about, uh, but this is 715 people, right? These, mm-hmm. these are people all over the city. And so it looks like a variety of things, right? That looks like some of our tenants outright leasing their own properties. A lot of that is going through section, section eight or OCHA or OFA, um, various voucher systems. Some of it is just fair market rent that the individual is paying through, you know, the curbside chronicle or, or other employment we've helped them find. Mm-hmm. Um, others is master leasing, right? So master leasing has, has worked really well for us where, you know, we work with a landlord to actually lease the property and it's under us. And then we work to place the tenants. Um, our, our clients are ready to move into housing. And so, you know, you know that the checks are going to become coming in because it's under our reliable name. There's not as much concern. You know, we're good for our money and we're going to be taking care of it and handling that. Um, and so that's something that we've really been pushing lately is these master lease units, mm-hmm. um, knowing that they're guaranteed opportunities for us. And, uh, you know, one of the biggest problems in Oklahoma City that we're facing right now is lack of affordable housing. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Huge problem. Uh, over the past 50, from about 2000 to 2015, Oklahoma City had the highest increasing price of rent of any non-coastal city, right? Number one of a non-coastal city, which is a big problem when you're talking about folks who are, are trying to transition out of homelessness. And so that's mm-hmm. that's a really big thing right now is we're trying to find more and more landlords affordable housing, that, sure. that are willing to work with us on affordable housing, absolutely. Sure. So what this looks like, um, for example, we've got a client right now that has purchased a fourplex, um, and in one of those units, the Homeless Alliance has signed a one-year agreement, um, and they are paying directly the landlord, and then they go in and they will place who whatever client that they're working with, and they'll place them in that facility and then if you have if the if the um, tenant their tenant has any issues they're they're instructed to contact their rep at homeless alliance so you're not actually directly um, 
communicating with this tenant, the tenant's actually working with their counselor. Is that the correct term, counselor? Or yeah, we have we kind of have an agent who okay, that's what they agent. do is they they're dedicated just to working with our our uh, partners and and kind of the real estate and housing world um, overseeing these leases. Yeah, we have someone dedicated just to that here. Okay, so that person is then their first line of contact if they have a maintenance request or there's an issue, um, and then that person's monitoring that situation uh, the entire time. So um, let's talk a little bit about um, the benefit to a landlord to be a part of this program. Yeah, so absolutely. I mean, it's one, it's it's guaranteed, right? And so if we're in a master lease with you, you know that we're not going to break that lease. We're reputable, right? Um, We constantly have clients, because there's a lack of affordable housing, we constantly have people to place, right? And so even if it's not a great um, placement for one of our clients and we need to move them somewhere else, we're going to, one, continue to pay you, and two, fill it with someone else, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Another great benefit is that, you know, we are working with our clients, right? Whereas, you know, for the most part, you don't know who necessarily is moving in. You might try to screen them or, or whatever that may be. When our landlords who are working with us have a problem and they talk to our, our agent here, our housing agent, what, what that person then does is get with their case manager who's going to go and address those problems with them very directly. Uh, and so, you know, we have some landlords that, you know, may have a couple dozen across all of their properties, a couple dozen of our clients and have built very strong relationships with not only our, our folks over the housing, but also the case managers here. Um, and, and can just very quickly, you know, call their cell phone and say, hey, mm-hmm. you know, this individual, I've noticed this, you know, can you help us out with that? Very quickly addressed. Um, whereas, you know, in other situations, that may not be the case, right? If you have a bad tenant, mm-hmm. um, you can address it with the tenant, but if they're not doing anything, there's no repercussion. Whereas with us, because we have all these other supports and because our case managers are actively involved in our clients' lives, uh, we can address those problems very quickly. And if it turns out it's not a great placement, we can work to, one, fill that placement with someone else and then work with that client to find some a, a better environment for them to, to flourish. Hmm. I think the, the key here is participation. Um, this organization participates in the lives of the people that they're helping to restore. And so I want you to think of this in terms of maybe you've got 30 units in your portfolio. Some of you have 50, 60, um, 90 plus uh, units in your portfolio, and you're looking for a way to give back to the community. And here's a way to give back to the community and still maintain your P&L statements, maintain your, your income, everything's still looking good. In some cases, you may even get a little bit better rent from them because it's so consistent. Um, and then they're taking care of those issues. Um, so it's really a win-win where you get to make a difference in the community and get that steady income. So um, I really want you to, to think about that going forward uh, with your portfolios. Um, so Tell, tell me, if they're interested in finding out more information about this program, where do they go? Is there a website? Is there a person that they call? What's the first step to them just getting more information about this program? Yeah, so if they want to call us at the Homeless Alliance, uh, 405-415-8410. Um, and, and if they're interested, if they're a landlord that wants to participate and, and work with us in these programs, mm-hmm. um, just say that. They'll be connected through to our, our folks that are working on housing and and we'll kind of feel out what that looks like, right? They own an apartment complex, they own a series of homes. What type of, of clients are we working with that are going to work well, right? Mm-hmm. We have programs focused just on families with children. We have 
just veterans, we have those who are chronically homeless, and so work with them to figure out what's really going to fit with them, right? Um, what we're not trying to do is go out and, and cause disruption, and our relationship with landlords and our relationship with the community is very important to us and very central to what we do. Um, and so we want to make sure these are good fits, right? We want to make sure, like you're saying, that mm-hmm. they are making money and this is consistent and that uh, ideally our tenants are, are better than the other tenants they have. We have folks that own apartment complexes who, when a unit comes available, they're calling us, right? Mm, um, sure. Because they know our our, our uh, reliability, they know the clients we're placing, they know how involved we are, and that's what we want to create, right? We want to create right. more of that sure. where uh, we're reliable, we're seen as... Uh, as as a good as a good uh, partner in in real estate, really. So, what's the exit strategy for that particular scenario? Let's say you sign a one year lease on a single family dwelling with a nice backyard, and you place a homeless family, okay, that maybe has kids uh, and a very touching situation. Over the course of that year that they're under the lease, is the goal to get them a job and then get them out of that house and on their own paying their own rent? Or is, you know, how does that work? What is the, you know, what keeps them from just, okay, this is a great situation. I'm going to stay in this for forever. Uh, You know, what's the typical time frame look like for somebody in that situation? Yeah, so it depends on a lot of factors and, and, you know, the barriers they're trying to overcome, right? Um, but that's going to look like us, us hands-on working, like you said, uh, let's work on, on finding a job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, once you have a job, like let's work on some of your other barriers, right? And so what that looks like is us kind of continually pushing them forward and, and trying to make improvements. And eventually the goal is to kind of exit them from the program, right? Mm-hmm. And, and clear space for another client, right? Because uh, we, we very much adhere to national best practices. Uh, case managers shouldn't really have more than 20 or so folks on their on their portfolio before they're kind of losing touch as, as often as they should, right? Sure. And so we're adhering to those things. And what that means is that if we're able to exit them, if they're back and stable and stay on their feet um, and they no longer need our assistance, we want to make room for, for someone else to come in. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means that family is taking over the lease because they have, they're stable now and they have the ability to do that. Uh, sometimes it means, you know, they've found that, you know, they're steady and they're back on their feet, but they're ready to move somewhere else, right? There's a, there's another part of the state that's better for them. And so then we're working with maybe another landlord or, you know, depending on how large the portfolio is, maybe the same landlord mm-hmm. to place them in what may be a more ideal location or situation for them now that they're steady and they're on their own and, and have found a lot of independence, right? And so, sure. yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of the goal, right? Mm-hmm. Is that they get back on their feet, they're able to pay their their own rent without any assistance and, and that they just go on and, and, and flourish, right? After that that tenant decides, I'm going to go someplace else, you guys keep that lease, or you try to, if that landlord wants to keep that Absolutely. lease in place, what's the longest? I mean, what's the average here? Is it, are you do only one one year or do you guys do multiple years? I mean, what does that look like? Yeah, so the, our, our master leases are fairly recent that we've really gotten into that. So we mm-hmm. don't necessarily have... Uh, a lot of historical data. Sure. Yeah, sure. yeah. So yeah. the housing first, like I said, mm-hmm. is only five years old, Oklahoma mm-hmm. City, right? Um, and these master leases, we've really started uh, kind of getting our, our feet on the ground with that and really starting to kind of get a, a number of folks interested in working with us in that capacity. Sure. Um, but yeah, ideally, we keep a lot of these, right? Because mm-hmm. um, we find success and, and then you can replicate that, right? You know, as you start working in these various areas, you really start to learn the bus routes with our clients. You start to learn the resources available to them in those areas. And so it's really convenient for us to just keep that lease mm-hmm. uh, and, sure. and continue. If it's a good, if it's a good place. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. 
Yeah. Uh, so also a, a thing to pick, uh, to put and bring up on this. So if you do have a class, you know, C or D rental property, that's primarily what we're looking at in these situations. So if that tenant damages that property and they need to be evicted or, or removed from that, the landlord does nothing to evict that. That's that's a simple phone call to the Homeless Alliance letting that counselor know that that particular placement has caused damage to the property or broken rules or has, has done grievances or something to the point where it's, it's, it's beyond them being able to stay there. You don't have to go through the eviction process. That's something that Homeless Alliance will then pull that, con- that, that client and then place another one and actually do the repairs all while paying you your rent the entire time. So that's a very important concept. If you're in class C, class D areas, you're already dealing with this anyways. You're having to fix up the property after you evict somebody and you're losing rent the entire time. This would keep you consistent rent the whole time while them they're doing the evictions for you and doing the repairs. So something to think about for you, class C and D, even the class B rentals in some cases where you've got a family or you've got a veteran that they're placing that's, that's uh, you know, they believe is really excelling through the program rapidly. So well, I want to appreciate you coming on the show today. That means a lot. Um, you guys are doing excellent work. Remember, if you ever see the green vests around the city of Oklahoma City selling the magazines, that's part of this program. And you can also call this program and get an, involved in that magazine as well uh, through advertising and various other ways. You can always give anytime. Uh, the website, I believe, is homelessalliance.org. Mm-hmm. Is that yeah, right? We're going to put a link at the bottom in the comments as well as his contact information. Uh, that way you can get a hold of this. Any type of donations and funding that you want to do, if you want to volunteer at this program, you can all find those resources on that website. But uh, that's it. Thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And that concludes episode 10 of the Oklahoma City Real Estate Show. If you've got questions, comments, or concerns, you can visit okcrealestateshow.com. There's a feedback box down below. Or you can email Landon, L-A-N-D-O-N, at okcreal.com. That's Landon Witt at okcreal.com. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening, you have a great day.